everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Continuing on with our series about the best of pictures, uh, we're going to be talking about the best picture of 1968, but I'm not going to be doing it alone. When I say we, I'm not talking about the royal we, I'm talking about my co-host who's here with me. His name is Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Oh, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Okay, yeah, I could see the furrowed brow. I was very confused. Just as you, yeah. I was like, who else is here? Right. Well, I mean, I, I guess I could have called Jen in and said, hey, what do you think about Carol Reed's Oliver? That's true. And she would say, I have work to do. <laughs> um, so let's, let's do that. Let's get her in here right now. Absolutely. Just <laughs> We just do like, we start doing ambush uh, movie reviews. That'd That's, be kind of cool. Yeah. Let's go out on the street. That'd be kind of great, actually. Pick a movie that no one, most people have not seen and just be yeah. like, what do you think? Or you pick a movie everybody has seen, but most people have the wrong opinion about be like, Batman okay. vs. Superman, what do you think? I think it's really great. You're an idiot. And then you keep moving. Huh. So uh, I guess that's more Billy on the street than anything else. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, so we are going to be talking about, as I mentioned already, Carol Reed's Oliver! Exclamation point. You got to say it with a... Yeah. Is that the only Best Picture winner with uh, specific punctuation in the name? Um, there might be one that has like a colon Well, I remember there's Braveheart? <laughs> That one was kind of weird to me. If you count, if you count the colon, then uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Sure, absolutely. Would be one, absolutely. But other than that, yeah, not that I can. As, as we're talking winners, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can't think of any. I mean, there's there's a few with like an ellipsis. You know, there's like mm -hmm. terms of endearment. <laughs> um, Everyone forgets about that yes. ellipsis. Yeah, because you know, people don't have the time yeah. to say, you know, to incorporate that. But I like to. Yeah. Um, I really, I'm enjoying this now. I like the <laughs> idea of uh, just adding some punctuation. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I said terms. Of I like that it's like terms of endearment. <laughs> oh, of endearment. Oh, okay, oh, I was wondering it. what kind of terms they I were. It was like legal terms, Could have been a like, surrender. Um, so anyway, uh, okay. Sorry, everybody. So yeah, we're going to. Be I'm talking, not sorry. <laughs> You know what? I'm actually not sorry either because that's going to be the best part of this discussion because I watched Oliver recently for the first time. Uh, I assume you've probably only seen it once, right? I think I've seen it more than once because I was in it. Oh. Like I was in the play in fourth grade. So oh. that's the first time I saw the movie. Which character did you play? Uh, some kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. It was one of those things where like, you know, I went to a small school, so it was like K through 12. Mm. So when they do a play, they have to give the parts to like the high schoolers, the real parts. Yeah, so it sounds horrible. I know. So, you know, the, I think Oliver was played by like a, probably a ninth grader. Yeah, probably. Um, and I was, you know, I was fourth grade. So okay. they, they, they filled it. <laughs> I'm sure it must've looked pretty funny. Cause you had the kid who, you know, was going to be your main kid. You got your Oliver and he's like in an orphanage with a bunch of kids who were like, my age at the time so he's <laughs> a good foot taller than everyone else but that makes it that's, that makes it more tragic like oh man mm. oliver just cannot get adopted <laughs> nobody wants that kid. nobody wants him you know what's what's his problem mm. maybe because it, maybe it's the issue that he wants more maybe some more anyway <laughs> um yeah and then meanwhile then you have i assume uh, you know fagan and bill sykes and stuff mm. were under heavy makeup well, a lot of them were uh, actually just adults. So, like the harder, like the harder parts, uh, like Fagan was definitely adult. He was like the uh, theater teacher there. Um, let me think. 
Bill Sykes was one, was an adult cause he was a dad of one of my friends. Um, the, the beetle or whatever the guy is, who's like in charge of the orphanage. Mr. He was Bumble? definitely in Mr. Bumble. He yeah. was an adult. Mr. Brownlow was an adult. Like <laughs> what kind of play is this? I know like the kids didn't get to do much. So you got, uh, Oliver and Dodger. Yeah. And then I think, ah, that was one of the female characters, not like, not Nancy, Na- not Nancy, but either like this. I don't remember if Nancy had a friend I don't. I think that might have been something we just put into the play. I don't think that's really. Yeah, because I mean, watching the movie, like, there's really only one female of note, and that's yeah. Nancy. Yeah, and I think that was a teacher too. Well, I know it's odd. What is the point of this? <laughs> well, like, I was in third grade actually. Now that I think about it, fourth grade was Fiddler on the Roof. I got lost. And oddly enough, you were the lead in that. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was the fiddler. Um, uh, no, and now that I think back, that one had a lot of kids playing the main, but, but see, that's easier because you've got the daughters and then you've got their suitors. Sure, so sure. that's easier to have them play, be played by, uh, so kids. were there no high schoolers that could play grownups? Cause you know, in most high school theater, that's what we all did. Yeah, I know. It's, it's odd. So I like the elementary, like... the elementary school kids, we were the extras <laughs> Yeah, and you had some mid-level characters that were played by students Yeah, and then the rest of them were adults. Now, I recognize that a high school doesn't need a license to perform theater, yeah. but I feel like this one should have it revoked. <laughs> or how about this? I recognize that Oliver has a lot of kids in it, so you, yeah. you want to go with that. But at the same time, just like, go go with a play that won't need so many grownups. Because yeah. I'm sure the parents of children, unless you're the parents of, you know, the kid that played Oliver or Dodger, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there's like, hey, let's go support our kids' teachers <laughs> and dads. I wonder if uh, now that thinking about it, I wonder if maybe it was that there were just not enough kids that wanted to do it. Cause it wasn't like a drama class, put it on. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was the school, like everything from the school. So maybe they actually couldn't get enough kids that wanted to do theater to play those parts. Just do American Buffalo then. You know, there's only three episodes <laughs> or if you want to, you know, obviously that's an all male cast. So just do like a, you know, Oleana and there <laughs> yeah. you go. Crescent, Crescent Christian Academy presents Oleana. <laughs> I mean, it'd have to be edited a little bit, but that's all right. Um, uh, to me, it's 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 such an obvious joke, but it's a good, it's a fun theater go-to of young kids performing David Mamet. Like, Which is, uh, that's one of the reasons that it isn't David Mamet, but uh, I don't think any of it is. That's one of the reasons that I love Rushmore so much, because when mm-hmm. they have like those kids, especially... The one who played Dennis the Menace. I forget the real kid's name. Mason Gamble. Yeah, yeah. Some of the <laughs> scenes were like, he's like dressed up as a nun firing an <laughs> AK-47 or something. And, uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's... Uh, okay, well that, well, that was fun. Yeah, I'm, I was largely unfamiliar with the musical Oliver. I'd never seen oh, yeah. it. I'd never seen the movie. Just through, I think, cultural osmosis, I had heard a couple of the songs. You know, Consider Yourself at Home. Mm-hmm. Um, pick a pocket or two, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, many of them I'm familiar with as a function of Jimmy Pardo singing a line or two on Never <laughs> Not Funny. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so I watched it the other day, and I know that the film is fairly well regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't think any anybody 
would say that it is like an under, undeserving Oscar winner. Like I, when people list the the bad Oscar best picture winners, they tend not to say Oliver because it is a yes, it is a 1960s musical, but it's a pretty it, it's a very well executed production. It's Carol Reed mm-hmm. who I I tend to only think of as the guy that did the Third Man. Which admittedly is no small thing. I love the third man. Yeah. Um, and I know he's done tons of other things as well, but that's how I think of him primarily. Mm-hmm. And so I look at that and I think like, well, yeah, if this is, if this is the guy in charge of creating a Dickensian world, it's going to work. Yeah. That part is going to work. And it does. Yeah. Um, so I'll say what I thought of it in a moment, um, but I'll throw it to you. So when is the last time you saw it? I assume it's been a while. It has still been a while, but I, I feel like it's. Fairly fresh in memory. Okay. What's, what are your thoughts about Oliver <laughs> name and lights? Um, I feel like I don't love it. Here's, I, I like the way I, I do agree. Like the Dickensian world. I think that comes through. Well, I think that's well represented. Um, but I think I almost do kind of think of this as one that maybe shouldn't have won best picture, except that the movie that probably should have won for this year, in my opinion, and we'll get to that later, isn't even nominated. Right. It was up for director. Yeah. Assuming I assume that we're on the same page. on Yeah, this. probably. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it, and it's coming on the tail end of this musical thing. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this more as we get further into the 60s. But um it, it's uh, it was uh, the last of these that they did of the decade. So I wonder if it was just kind of like people were still thinking in that mindset. People were still like, well, you know, musicals are that's one of the big things that we yeah. like. Um, I think it's hard to have a movie where you have a kid like that that has to carry so much of the movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of surrounding characters around it, but. I mean, he is the central character and the film requires a lot of him. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like almost I always maybe, thought Oliver Twist is more of a MacGuffin than a character. Well, <laughs> um, which is maybe a little bit mean and, and probably a little bit reductive of me mm-hmm. to say. But when you realize that while Oliver is kind of a pure soul, but at the same time, every other character around him is more interesting and more dynamic yeah. and that they, and that so many people are just defined by their reaction to him. I, that's kind of where I arrive at the MacGuffin. Thing. Well, and I feel like that kind of tends to be the thing in a lot of these, in a lot of Dickens stories, yeah. not necessarily bad, but because within a, within the context of a book, he can speak a lot more from within the character's mind. Right. So in like a, 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 uh, someone that I just read, I can't pip who's, which one's pip great, expectations. great expectations. Uh, like he, that's kind of a similar character too. Like there's not mm. really anything remarkable about him. He just has these kind of remarkable journeys. And well, since he at least has things he wants, well, you know, true. he wants a relationship. Yeah. Know. And I, th- I mean, I think Oliver has that too, but it, it doesn't come out so much in well, the film. I don't think I know that <laughs> <laughs> he wants more gruel and then he wants, I don't know, a home or some yeah, nonsense. something. Yeah. Um, this kid can't get enough. Just calm down. Can't satisfy this kid. He's, First, here's some more gruel, although I guess they don't actually give it to him. <laughs> that's true. Today, gruel tomorrow, the world. That's, that's Oliver's <laughs> just, view. You give him an inch. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I feel like, that character that viewed without any kind of omniscient mm-hmm. perspective seems a little bit non-interesting and kind of is moving through a world of 
more sort of fantastical things. And and Dickens tends to, especially in his lighter stuff, tends to deal in archetypes. Like yeah. Bill Sykes is definitely an archetype. Faganism, a bunch of the characters in Great Expectations, Miss Haversham, all these things are like yeah. Fagan extremes. Fagan is a very specific kind of archetype. Yeah, which is, we'll talk about that in a minute, that is, I guess. in modern terms, problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, I feel like there there are a lot of things that don't work about it so much as a as a I feel like it, it loses its ability to be really effective as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Have I seen? Because they made a more recent Oliver Twist that was yeah, Polanski, Roman, Roman wasn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I I don't think I've seen that one. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see how. Well, I guess maybe you can speak to sort of the contrast between those two and and the the difference i mean obviously the, the musical is going to be more simplified yeah i've seen three at this point now three versions of oliver twist is i saw david the david lean version yeah, which is amazing um and then i saw this and then i saw the the polanski version and polanski's well this one feels the most safe because it's a musical yeah. uh polanski's feels as tends to happen with with dickens adaptations where the characters are our uh, archetypes more than full on characters, but they do, you know, everything seems just a little bit exaggerated. Like it's lived, like everything is in a slightly more idealized world, uh, where even the orphanage, even the, the negative characters, the, the brutal characters, even they seem to exist while their core might be real. They seem to exist just a little bit heightened. I'm not complaining about that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think really that's think true to the, true to the subject matter too. I yeah. feel like all those characters are meant to be a little bit heightened. And, and so that, I think that definitely comes across in Polanski's version. Um, and to, to, a to a pretty solid degree, I think, Having read very little Dickens, but having seen a number of his of film adaptations <laughs> of him, uh, I, I I would feel bad speaking with any kind of authority. But I there there is definitely a Dickensian tone, whether it be in Nicholas Nickleby or um, you know Tale of Two Cities or Oliver Twist or even you know A Christmas Carol. There are versions that I feel like get the tone right, and I say that having read very little Dickens, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, but yeah, I do really like that Roman Polanski adaptation. I'd be curious. It'd be kind of neat if he did others. Um, hmm, I'd, yeah. li- I'd be interested to see him do like Nicholas Nickleby. Which, who, who did that more recent Nicholas Nickleby? Do you remember? Gosh, you know what? I don't remember. I want to say Douglas McGrath, but I don't know if that's true. But that's, hmm. have you seen it? It's I've really seen good. It, yeah. Which I, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the one. I'm trying to think. That might be the only one that I. I don't know where I've seen Douglas the film. McGrath. I might be way off on that. I don't know. But I'm looking it up. Um, no, never mind. Yeah, while I look this up, even though it doesn't matter, <laughs> um, Nick uh, Nicholas has an H in it, doesn't it? Oh, sure does. Dickens. That Nicholas does. I know. That reminds me of that Monty Python sketch where the guy's trying to buy the book at the store, and he has spelled all of the. There's a bunch of different versions that sound like the name of Dickens' books, but they're like one letter is different, and it turns out that they're by Charles Dickens with two Ks, the well-known Dutch author. Douglas McGrath, I nailed it. Did you really? Nice yeah. job. Who knows that name? Apparently me. <laughs> you do. I, I didn't even know that. I don't know who that is. I thought that was the guy who sings in Sugar Ray. It's Mark Got it. McGrath. Okay, yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, I could pull up the basically no-name filmmaker before the actual celebrity. <laughs> Um, um, oh, that's right. That's right. That's what this guy, that's what this jerk did. 
Sorry, everybody. I'm getting distracted now. I don't know. What, um, I can't tell what you're looking at. He made he made Infamous, the other Truman Capote movie. Oh. He made Emma. Um, hmm. He made a movie called I Don't Know How She Does It a few years ago. He's He is also, and maybe primarily, a, uh, an actor who directs from time to time. Oh, really? And I didn't directed know Nicholas Nickleby oh, and did a go. very good job of it. Um, okay, sorry about that. That was a tangent upon a tangent. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so you for the most part don't care for the film. Yeah. I think there are some enjoyable things to it, but I feel like everything besides some of the production design stuff and the, and the, the look and feel, which I think I like, um, I don't think there's much in it that you don't get from a good stage production of it. If that makes sense. Yes, I could see that. There's not a lot of, the camera's more active, I'll say that, as opposed to the camera just, you know, pulling back into a wide shot and letting yeah. the actors do their thing. So, you know, the camera, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's swooping, but it, it has a, a certain fluidity to it yeah. that I think, I think works. You kind of feel like you're in the midst, like you're sort of like, I'm watching a musical, a stage musical from on stage. Mm -hmm. It sort of has that quality to it. Yeah. But like, yeah, because I can think of some of the other ones that I can think of, like, for instance, Sound of Music, which we'll talk mm -hmm. about later. But that, I think, brings a lot to it that you can't at all get on stage. Yes. That and, feels like a... And this does, too, but that one feels like a film, like a full-on yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would, I could have totally believed that that never existed as a stage musical. Yeah. Um, whereas this definitely feels very much like an adaptation, and I think... I think it doesn't, like I said already, it doesn't feel like it's bringing a whole lot new to the, the story or to the, to the musical. And, and even West Side Story, which seems stagey at times, uh, Robert Wise so utilizes New York City and yeah. having things, you know, go from one place to another so yeah. quickly. And, and I think that speaks to Robert Wise first as an editor. Not He didn't mm. edit it, but yeah. he started as an editor. Yeah. And so he moves things quicker than I think a stage musical tends to be. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll, again, we'll, we'll get to that yeah. later. We're talking about <laughs> a lot of best pictures. We haven't even gotten to My Fair Lady, uh, which I haven't seen. But um, yeah, no, I see what you mean. It seems a little bit stagey, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually, kind of, now that I think about it, it's kind of interesting because you know, to go to what is apparently the only other film Carol Reed ever directed, The Third Man, <laughs> uh, that seemed stagey in a very specific way, which is um, certain scenes uh, and the way they're shot and the way they are, the, the set is decorated. It feels like it doesn't feel stagey, but, you know, sometimes when you see a play, in order to try to sell you the reality and, and try to make you forget that you are watching people on a stage, the set will be uh, uh, decorated in a very specific, almost a cluttered type of way where they'll just kind of pack it with, with everything. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it does not. Um, but, uh, and that's kind of how the, the third man feels to me. Like, I don't know if Carol Reed started in theater, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and so I, it could also explain why Oliver feels stagier than maybe than sound of music or, or some of these other f films that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I saw it, uh, for the first time only a few days ago, maybe a, a, a week ago at this point. And, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I could say more about it. There are, th I, as you said, there are things about it. I like there are sequences I like, mm -hmm. um, 
but I found myself frustrated that we are recording this far out, which admittedly is only a week. Because mm-hmm. as I was thinking of, as as I was uh, as I was going to let you in, I was saying like, okay, well, what am I going to? I was thinking to myself, what am I going to say about Oliver? And I came up, you know, uh, snake eyes or whatever. I don't know what <laughs> that, that seems like a low roll. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's the lowest possible roll on regular dice. That's anyway. true. Yes, so. they don't make zeros. They should. You know, they should just have a blank side, right? <laughs> um, That'd be frustrating. <laughs> oh, sorry. You got uh, you got nil nil um, again. So, uh, yeah, it it really didn't stick with me, and I thought it was going to specifically because I like the story of Oliver Twist. I've seen two other film adaptations of it; mm-hmm. those have stuck with me much more, and I haven't seen either of them in well over ten years. Hmm. Um. And yet those have stuck with me more than the film I saw a week ago. Hmm. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of good, there are a lot of good things in the film. Again, uh, you and I keep returning to the art direction that, and the, the set design, like it puts you in the world of this orphanage and that's where a lot of the heightened stuff comes from, which, you know, it's a musical, so it should be. Um, the performances are good. I specifically, Really responded to uh, what's his name? And I think his name's Jack Wild, who played Dodger. Um, yeah, I do I remember really like that him. kid. Yeah, yeah, Jack Wild, uh, and he was actually nominated for supporting actor for it. Um, but I really liked him, and then uh, you know I liked Oliver Reed as uh, Bill Sykes. I remembered finding him like kind of a frightening character as a child, so I yeah. feel like he must be doing something kind of effective there. Because I, I feel like he's a different type of character than I've seen in other... Di- this guy's just a thug. He's just yeah. a... Like, there's no... You know, there's like... there, Whether it be like somebody who runs an orphanage or, or Fagin who, who deals with... Uh, who, who has some kind of authority over kids. Um, a lot of the villains in Oliver Twist... Uh, in, uh, pardon me, uh, Charles Dickens' stories tend to have uh, some kind of authority to them. That's And then they, they abuse it. That is why they are villains. That's mm-hmm. what makes them villains. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Sykes doesn't really have authority over anything. Yeah. He just scares people. Yeah. And just makes them do what he wants by threatening them. And when you, the, we get into this world that's kind of like the underworld, and it's not that scary. Like, yeah. um, I think it's meant to be scarier in the book, probably. But yeah. here it's like a little friendly, like Fagin helps you out, and like Dodger's... You know, he's a troublemaker, but yeah. he's a criminal, but like in a very safe way. Yeah. But then suddenly Bill, when Bill Sykes enters that, it becomes like, th- this guy's different than the other ones. Like, this yeah. guy's not safe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Oliver Reed definitely brings that. And yeah, and really makes Bill Sykes feel like a, a psychopath. Like, just yeah. you look at the way he, the expression on his face, there's always like... There's almost a there's always like a, a, a glossed over quality to his eyes. Like he's not really feeling anything about what he is doing or what he is saying. Yeah. And I that's not a flaw with the performance. I think that's that's Oliver Reed finding something in that character. Maybe a certain uh, I said uh, psychopath, maybe sociopath as well. Just a guy who doesn't feel anything about the world around him, yeah. and thus is able to do some of the terrible things that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I responded to that. I did like Ron Moody as Fagin, um, and he was actually nominated for Best Actor, which I think speaks again to the the role of of Oliver Twist himself. Mm-hmm. That 
that kid, admittedly, you know, it's just, it's a kid and kids tend not to be nominated for lead, uh, even if they are the lead. Um, but that when people watched Oliver, they saw the lead as Fagan, hmm. you know, or they, you know, it's, he does have a bit of an arc, I guess. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's I, funny. I'd definitely call him a supporting role though. Oh, I definitely, yeah. There's no question that he is just as everybody else is in that story. But, um, but yeah, if people, if the Academy is looking to really support this film with nominations and they really were, um, it's like, well, we got to nominate, we, we have to nominate for best actor, but what are we going to do? Nominate Mark Lester? No, of course not. Um, cause Oliver is quite, kind of a non-entity. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's go with this guy playing, uh, Fagan. So, uh, but yeah, I, I mentioned the songs that I remember. I do remember really disliking a song. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Who Will Buy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'd say I hate the song, but I'm closer to hating it than mildly liking it. Yeah. Um, and that's like of all the songs that Carol Reed decides he's going to get really into it <laughs> from a filmmaking standpoint. It's not any of these character based songs. It's now just a bunch of random people. Now, I recognize that it's, you know, I, I'm savvy enough to know an act break when I see one. And yeah. this is the song that brings us into act two. Yeah. There's no question about it. Uh, and Oliver's in a better position now. You know, he's he's living with, I've forgotten the name of the, of the character, Mr. Mr. Brownlow. Mr. Brownlow, yeah. thank you. Um, you know, he's living with him now and he's in a, in, a, in a really nice area and, you know, he's living the dream. And so, and that is the beginning of act two. So in order to establish the 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 different tone you have people you know in that neighborhood you know pushing baby carriages and that mm -hmm. sort of thing uh singing about what a wonderful day it is and okay that's fine um but it starts with you know uh someone on the street corner saying like hey who will buy this thing i'm selling and then it turns into these other things like who will buy this wonderful feeling who will buy this beautiful morning it's like you can't buy a morning jerk <laughs> all right you've lost me immediately um and then the song just goes on and on and on. And while I recognize it started with 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 Oliver just sort of observing what a great day it is, that's fine. But now I'm getting a lot of people I don't care about sing for a solid like five or six minutes, maybe even more, uh, in this really elaborate, well choreographed, but ultimately, in my opinion, soulless sequence. <laughs> And just like it's kind of a Wells Fargo wagon type song, isn't that's it? Perfect. It's just like everybody that's in the town perfect. is singing about an event that means a little bit to the story, but not a whole lot. Yeah, and we never we don't know anything about any of these people. Yeah, <laughs> for a song meant to merely set uh, the mood and and display a, a, a shift in tone. Mm -hmm. um, I it's, I don't know if Carol Reed just like looked at that and said like. I can really do something with this. Well, do something with the rest of it, jerk. Mm. Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to call Carol Reed a jerk, but like that, that sequence went on so long. And that song is so inane to, in my opinion that I was just like, you're make you're making me mad now, Carol Reed. Um, yeah. so I feel I, bad saying that everybody, it might be, it might be a listener. It might be your favorite song of all time. <laughs> and if so, I do kind of feel bad for you. I, I never liked the boy for sale one. It, that just it, that it feels like such a slow point. I mean, it's a it has to happen. Like yeah, something yeah. has to happen with this kid. But 
Oh, and uh, anything Nancy. You didn't like it. Isn't she do He Needs Me? Is that Nancy? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, there's one that maybe it's as long of, as I, he needs when me. When I think of you're thinking of the Popeye I think, one. Yeah, yeah. It's Shelley not that Duvall. one. I can think of the other. It this, might be called this film as long. a bit more Shelley Duvall, I think, <laughs> as Oliver. <laughs> oh, they do like the Peter Pan thing. You that know, would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you were saying uh, it might be called as long as he needs me, but there's something where like something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. And Nancy is is a necessary character, and when I've seen her in other adaptations i thought she was interesting and i mm. see her as necessary but she winds up being to me just like a distraction hmm. um in in the in the musical i can totally see that happening like i yeah. can see how she becomes more of an important and tragic character in the longer no questions scale of things but in it in this one she almost feels kind of like a token female character kind of yeah because it's so male heavy yeah that they got to be like, well, there needs to be kind of a love interest thing, even if it's like a doomed love interest thing and somebody that female audiences can connect with. It's almost like she's there, not merely for tokenism, but also it's like, all right, how can we show that Bill Sykes is like a really bad <laughs> yeah, guy? Yeah, how can we really make everyone hate him? You know, and it's that... not enough that the children are afraid of him. <laughs> Let's also show him being cruel to uh, the woman who unfortunately uh, cares for him. Yeah, not that that doesn't work. I mean, that does make you hate him. <laughs> no question about it. But uh, but that's the thing is, and they do give her, but they give her her own song, which I guess is uh, meant to humanize her and, and add depth. But to me, it just does not work. She mm. she always feels more like uh, an element of the a needed element of the plot that they decided. Oh shoot, there's no <laughs> character here. We better yeah. give her a song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so it's and it's nothing against the the, the actress. It's just uh, the way the character is used. And it, ultimately, I might wind up just having a problem with the musical. You know, I've said I like the art direction. I've yeah. said I like the choreography. I like the acting. Mm -hmm. So maybe the issue is the musical itself for me. And it that could I don't be. really care for. And I mean, it definitely dumbs down a story that is much more complicated. Yeah. I mean, that's a long book. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so I do feel, I feel bad uh, being as negative as I, as I have been, you know, on, uh, on Letterboxd, I believe I gave it three stars, maybe even three and a half, uh, probably three. Uh, and now that I mention it, if it is three and a half, I'm going to have to go back in and change it to three. <laughs> it's a perfectly fine film. Uh, if you like musicals there, which I'm not, which I don't really, there's not a lot of musicals I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a, a musical has to be particularly striking for me yeah. to respond to it. And in my opinion, Oliver was not. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did want to briefly mention, because we, we teased it earlier, uh, the character of Fagin is, is so fascinating to me. Uh, yeah. He has, over, over time, the, uh, the character has become less stereotypically Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, and I've not read the book. I do know that people, uh, when they've when they've talked about the book, they said that the way he is written, the way he is described, that he is obviously meant to be a, a Jewish, not necessarily Shylock type character, but yeah. uh, is meant to kind of evoke that. Yeah. And I mean, like he's obsessed with money and greedy. Like there's clearly <sighs> that is a part of yeah. who he is as a character. And I know that that the book character from the novel has been accused of being anti-Semitic. So, I mean, I feel like I think you were kind of saying that the way to approach that now is like he doesn't have to be 
Jewish for the movie. There's to work. no reason at all for There's him no to reason. be Jewish. It's just like maybe that was a stereotype that was more comfortable in yeah. 19th century England. I don't know. And it might have um, been like a shorthand, which is could be because there's also one thing that has come through in every adaptation. Uh, the character of Fagin is fascinating to me because mm-hmm. he there, he's also kind of pathetic. Yeah. In a lot of ways, despite the the low level authority he has, there's definitely a, a pitiful quality to mm-hmm. him. Um, and I will say, listeners, while I do recommend that David Lean version, it is amazing. Oh, they're Fagan played by Alec Guinness. That's by what the way, I thought. Yeah. Is. Wow. I mean, I feel like it feels like David Lean and Alec Guinness like looked at the book and they said, oh, this character seems to be stereotypically Jewish. Yeah, we can we can one up that. <laughs> we can do that. Uh, just the way, because it's one thing to just uh, give him like the beard and and like the nose and the hat and all these things. It's one thing to do that, which I still don't like. But it's another thing to like play him as far as his cadence as you're Jewish uh, again, Jewish stereotype. Mm-hmm. And Al again, as much as I love him, oh, you know they give him like the long black beard and they give him a fake nose, a one could say hook nose. Mm -hmm. Um, But then even just the way he talks, he doesn't even do a British accent. He does like a New York Jewish accent. Really? Or kind of a, I guess you could say just kind of a, a, an American Yiddish type Mm -hmm. thing. And to the point that when he says Oliver, he says like Oiva, Hmm. but not like, not like British. It's, it's literally, it's like he's saying Oive. Um, It's nuts. Huh? The, and what's interesting, the emotional core of the character is still there. Alan Guinness is still a good actor, but boy, oh boy, yeah. it is tough. And then by the time Roman, Roman Polanski did it and he was played by um, Ben Kingsley, mm-hmm. uh, they still, you know, they still had the beard. They just, they keep wanting to just stick to this idea, but it just made, but the beard here just made him seem less stereotypical Jew and more just kind of disheveled and, yeah. and unkempt and yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, and the, and the pathetic quality of the character really comes through in the, hmm. uh, in the Polanski version. So, and Ben Kingsley is also a wonderful actor. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, and, and I, I do like the way the character is portrayed by Ron Moody in this film, mm-hmm. but someday they're going to make a, a, an Oliver twist adaptation where they realize, Hey, uh, we don't actually need to do this. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to, this character be, could be clean shaven. In fact, I kind of like the idea of the character presenting himself as like a very clean, polished gentleman, mm-hmm. somebody that quite frankly could pick your pocket and you would never think it's that guy. You know, that seems to make, make more sense to me, especially the way he carries himself. And that's kind of what the Artful Dodger is trying to be. Yeah. So if you had, if you had Fagin being this and Artful Dodger being like the His, junior version yeah. of this, it makes a lot more sense. And yeah. it's, and just in that choice, it speaks to the relationship that Dodger has with him without even saying a word. Hmm. Um Josh, once again, you and I have come to a wonderful conclusion. <laughs> you should direct an adaptation of Oliver Twist. Yeah. You should get on that. Call right. somebody and say, uh, hey, if you're looking for anybody to adapt Oliver Twist, uh, I'd like to throw my hat yeah. in the ring. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Right. In theaters, 2017. Oh, boy. <laughs> Not giving myself a lot of time. Yeah. Well, that, you know what? I, I have faith in you. Yeah. Uh, you'll start with that uh, costume choice and work outwards. Yeah. So uh, Easy. Yeah. Half the work is done for you yeah. once you get Fagin, right? Right. 
That's actually kind of true. <laughs> um, okay, so looking, so the film won Best Picture, Director, Art Direction, Sound, and Score. It was nominated for Best Actor for Ron Moody, who played Fagin, Supporting Actor for Jack Wilde, who played Dodger, uh, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Costume Design, and Editing. So the other How 19... many nominations is that in total? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's a lot. It is. It's a musical in the 60s. Yeah. You know, and uh, a period one at that. So yeah. there you have costume, there you have art direction. Um, adapted screenplay surprised me, but I don't know the original the original musical. I don't know how much stuff they added to it. Yeah, or um, cut out. Or cut out. Uh, so the other 1968 Best Picture nominees are Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, is this Rochelle Rochelle? I'm familiar with Rochelle Rochelle from Seinfeld. <laughs> I don't think it is. Maybe it's Rachel Rachel? Yeah. Uh, and then Romeo and Juliet. Rachel Rachel, by the way, directed by uh, Paul Newman. Really? Uh, yeah, I looked that up last night. I did not know he was a director at all. Hmm. And apparently he directed a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, I guess Very so. Very strange. Um, so, Romeo okay. and Juliet's the Zeffirelli one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have only seen of these, I've only seen the lion in winter and Romeo and Juliet. I think I've only seen that Romeo and Juliet. Have I seen, I don't think I've seen that lion in winter. I've fun fact. So while you were just some, some chorus member and, uh, Oliver, I'm just, I'm just going to take a nap. For I a was bit. in my high school production of the lion in winter which we took on the road to competitions. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind telling you, I won you certain don't mind awards. I won certain awards for playing Henry the hmm. Second. Uh, among the awards, because I won a few. Oh, really? I don't mind telling you. Oh, you don't. Um, <laughs> I won Best Actor in the State of Missouri. The whole state of the Missouri. Whole state of Missouri. For all which, time, right? Uh, year 2000, oh, specifically. Okay. Uh, but I do believe they discontinued the award. Oh, really? Because how could you possibly... Because <laughs> they said, you know what, guys? We peaked. Um, and so... Uh, now, I should also mention that... So, Peter O'Toole played the character in the Lion in Winter uh, film. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor, but did not win... So he did not win for playing oh, the character. I, see. I did win for I playing see. the character. So one could say that, not in every respect, obviously, but in <laughs> this respect, I am a better actor than Peter O'Toole. That's yeah. Clearly, there was something that I did with the character that he just that did not occur to That's, him. I don't know. He was well. You know, if he had seen your performance of it, he might have been able to exactly, do something differently. Exactly. So it's really just bad luck on his part. Yeah. If he had stuck around for uh, thirty-two more years and said, "Hey, what's this?" What's this guy doing in Missouri? <laughs> that's what I mean. What's this guy doing in Missouri? He should be on the board. That's, what, in that's, that's on exactly Broadway. what he would have been saying. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this uh, The minute I... Because I had forgotten exactly when Lion and Winter was nominated. And then when I was making the notes for this, I thought, oh, boy. Here we <laughs> here, go. Here it comes. Listeners are going to be... So, uh, listeners, if anything, you should be honored that I am choosing to talk to you in any way. Uh, much less on three podcasts. <laughs> None know? of you yokels have won exactly, Best Actor exactly. State of Missouri. Yeah. Or have you? If you no. have, please tweet us. Yes, please. And, and let me know what, please uh, let us what know. role you played. So wouldn't it be please weird let it if be like, Lion in Winter? <laughs> wouldn't it be weird if three separate Best Actor State of Missouri winners since me all listen to you, this show. You know what? I hope everyone who lost to you that year listens to this show. Oh, that'd be one. That'd be like, I'm waiting for just that Lion in Winter episode. Um, okay. Just, just let him bring up that award. Just let him. 
so all joking aside, Lion Winter is a very good play and a very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Peter O'Toole, you've got Catherine Hepburn, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Timothy Dalton. Um, and, oh, shoot. Oh, that's frustrating. I can't remember the name of the actor who played uh, John. But, uh, but yeah, just a, a really, really good... And it seems like it would be a very turgid, uh, slow-moving kind of film because, like, oh, it's about the king and queen. Ugh. It's so much more than that. The emotional depths that they deal with uh, are off are sometimes uncomfortable. Um, there's a real life to it. There's emotional complexity to it. Yeah. And the performers it, really bring it out. Is it Beckett? No. Who wrote it? I don't recall, actually, now, unfortunately. Um, but no, I do not is believe it. Is it older than that? Um, you I know feel what? like it's, I think I, of it being something that was written in the latter half of the 20th century, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a more modern uh, play, but uh, Lion and Winter. So we're both <laughs> looking it up. This yeah. is what's making this episode This go is long. great podcasting. Um, so yeah, okay, so... James, James Goldman. Goldman. There it is. <laughs> That's how long it takes to Google yeah. something. Everyone. <laughs> you can time that out pretty well. So 1966 play. So the movie's only being made two years later. Yeah, it was, a, it was, I believe a very popular play and hmm. you can tell that there's like that whoever watched it saw it and said like, I, I can immediately, first off, I can probably see Oscars here yeah. and I can see, uh, I can see audiences really getting behind it. And sure enough, James Goldman, brother of William Goldman. I didn't know. Oh, that. interesting. Hmm. That's a talented family because this is a very good play. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, so looking at these, I've not seen Funny Girl. I haven't seen Rachel. Rachel, I just, Lion and Winter, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver. Um, I'd say Lion and Winter for me. That Romeo and Juliet is pretty good. Um, but I think Lion and Winter is, of these, is the, the, the best of the bunch. Yeah, I could see that being possible. I, I have wanted to see Funny Girl for a while. Um I know you're a big Streisand fan. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't really like her that much in general, but I haven't seen a lot of her early stuff. So <laughs> I just feel like I'm talking about an indie band. Yeah. Who likes Streisand's early stuff? <laughs> um, no, but I'm, I'm curious to see some of that earlier stuff when I, cause she's in what's up doc. Yeah. Which, which I've is heard really is funny. Good. And she's funny in it. And um, this is around that same time period. So I yeah. kind of would like to see it for that. And also the who's what's, what's the character that she's playing? It's a real life. Is it, Fran someone? I can't think of the actual... I do not remember. Franny? Nah, I can't think of it. Uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Is it Fanny something? And Alexander? It's Fanny. You're thinking she, of a movie. She portrays Fanny and Alexander. Okay. Um, but it's it's like based on a real life theater person. And um, I, I find that story kind of interesting. And I would like to see sort of how she portrays that. Hmm. Um. So, Especially because I think the per- the real person that she's portraying was much more of like a big kind of over the top comedy person, which is yeah. not the way that I think of Barbara Streisand. So I wonder if she, I wonder how she does that. Yeah. How does, how does, uh, how does Barbara Streisand go from being like a comedic actress to being the most self-serious person in the world? Yentl is how, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I, which I did not see. Um, okay. So looking Fanny Bryce, Fanny Bryce. Okay. So we have to, uh, 
we have to wrap up because it's been going longer than I expected. Uh, so looking at other notable 1968 releases, I'll go ahead and lead with 2001 Space Odyssey, but I'll also throw out... Uh, the Love Bug. The Love Bug, which I grew up watching. <laughs> I and did enjoyed. too. Uh, I, I ha- that happened to be uh, second uh, on this list here because I was going from uh, box office mm. and then other things. 2001 was the highest grossing film of 1968. That is nuts. How far we Can have you fallen. you believe that? Like... We were talking about this before on another episode about ones we talk that, about it a lot. Yeah, ones that have uh, don't seem like they would have made that much of the box office, but like, yeah. well, and and you know what? Actually, I can kind of see it because uh, from a special effects point of view, it was kind of sure. groundbreaking. So, like, I think if somebody were to do something today that did something with special effects that we've never seen before, and almost like that kind of blows our minds. I think even if the story was way more esoteric and didn't have a lot of the things that people generally want in a movie, yeah. we might still all be like, that's amazing. Um, you could make an argument maybe that that happened a little bit with gravity since a lot of people said the story or the, the script was bad. Yeah. Uh, well, this isn't a function of the script being bad so much as non-existent. Right. Right. Um, but I'm I'm just saying that that's a movie that you maybe could see as lacking in certain respects, but because of the uh, technological aspects, people are willing to like it more and give it more go to see it more than they might otherwise. And when you think about it, you know, science fiction was still a big thing at the time, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. and would continue to be like well into the seventies and then reinvigorated, uh, right. but then kind of moved from, uh, you know, like uh, hard sci-fi and like philosophical things into fantasy or horror yeah. with uh, Star Wars, Star Wars and, Alien. and Alien. Yeah. Um, but it, when you think of the other sci-fi stuff that would have been coming out around this time, I mean, mm-hmm. this is when like Star Trek is on the air. Yeah. Right. And this is like the other sci-fi stuff that you're seeing is kind of as cheesy as uh, stuff like Lost in Space. Yeah, yeah. Or what's what's another sci-fi movie that came around that time? Forbidden Planet. Yeah. That's a little bit earlier. It's about I guess so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, like, that's not yeah. too far off. A lot of stuff that you're seeing is kind of this... Solaris. That came out a few years later yeah. in another country. That's true. <laughs> so I, I'm sure Solaris is probably informed very much by 2000. Probably. And, and Solaris doesn't... I think it tries to avoid having to deal with uh, special effects that much. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but, but like that, what what... What Space Odyssey was doing with special effects in this time was groundbreaking. And so, like, yeah. th- we, like you said, teased it before. For me, that's number one. That's the one that should win this year. Yeah, and while I while I have never really responded to 2001, um, because I tend to be more of an emotional film viewer, and 2001 is not an emotional film. No. Although, oddly enough, when the computer is dying, <laughs> I find myself, the villainous computer is dying, I find myself getting almost choked up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, even I can recognize that it's one of the best films of all time. I mean, yeah. there's... In uh, Rodney Asher's documentary, Room 237, one of the people that you have uh, talking is a guy who said he did not like movies. He did not believe in them as uh, being artistically challenging. Uh, Then he saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and decided, I want to make movies. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, like it's, it's that kind of film. We've talked on the show before about kind of gateway movies and this is definitely one for a lot of people. Yeah. Which is interesting because now I think people would look at it and say like, I don't understand it and I am writing it off. Like this thing is, is silly and makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, when I saw it, the first time I saw this movie on the big screen, which was, is a great experience if you get a chance to do it. But, I think that might be what I'm lacking. Really? Uh, I saw it on, I saw it like in a screening room at school. Uh, and that was fairly large, but I feel like seeing it in a full on movie theater yeah. would be amazing. It's a pretty spectacular experience, except that there were three, uh, teenagers or maybe freshmen in college who were sitting a few rows ahead of me. And at the very end of the film, uh, one of them yelled, I, I think the, the edited version of his response is just what the heck. Oh, okay. Kind of loud enough for everyone to hear. Well, you know what? At least they show that they're engaged. You know, they're not on their phone. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the most that we can hope for these millennials. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that would probably be my vote as well. But I will mention a few others. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is a marvelous film. Yeah, yeah. Planet of the Apes, for me, is probably what would give 2001 a run for its money because I love it so much. And that's, that's a good one, too. I feel yeah. like it, it's not hitting as hard on the special effects thing. Oh, my, no. But... Uh, it takes something that could be ridiculous and makes it a very interesting social commentary. Yeah, it's yeah, it makes it uh, really engaging uh, on every level. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, that also, I did not realize that that made as much money as it had. Hmm. Um, the producers, and then uh, and then we kind of drop down a little bit to you know movies that are uh, lesser known. But then I'm a big fan of the John Cassavetes film Faces. Yeah, that's a good um, one too. That is a uh, a personal favorite of mine and I, I probably like it more than any of the films made uh, that we've talked about. Uh, I mm. maybe between that and planet of the apes for me, but uh, I enjoy the producers a lot. I think probably of this year, the ones who discussed the 2001 and the producers are my two favorites, hmm. but I'm a sucker for Mel Brooks. Um, the heart is a lonely hunter. That's one that I've, uh, it's like, I want that. I want to like that movie and I just don't like I've never seen it. That was one of the movies that my parents had uh, recorded, had rented from the video store and then recorded onto a, a, <laughs> really? a blank tape. And so every time I would look through the, what? That's an odd choice to be like, hey, let's get that one on tape. Apparently they liked it. Yeah, and, so. Uh, and so every time I would like pull out the VHS tapes that we had and to pick something, um, it's like the heart is a lonely hunter. Like, I don't know what I was a kid. So it's like, yeah. I don't know what that means. It sounds boring. I feel like it's... Uh, it's got Alan Arkin in it. Yes, Alan yeah. Arkin. And he's. He, I think he gives a very good performance. Mm -hmm. He has to play a, a, a deaf person. So that's, you know, anytime you have to play something like that, it's there's a difficulty to that. And there's something to be yeah. respected there if it's done well. But uh, I, th I probably don't just like the subject material because it's based on a novel and... I feel it, it, it feels depressing for depressing sake in a mm. way that I, I don't like. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd known about uh, Alan Ark and I knew that he was nominated for it. Uh, and I heard the performance was really good, but that's kind of the most I'd, I'd heard mm -hmm. about it. Um, so yeah, uh, and I believe he lost to Cliff Robertson and Charlie, he which did, is yeah. a good performance in a movie that is horrendously dated. Really? I haven't yeah. seen that one. He plays like a mentally uh, challenged yeah, it's, person. It's based he? on the play Flowers for Algernon. Oh, if you okay. ever I didn't know that. Read that or, or saw it. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's a guy who goes from being, you know, uh, mentally challenged to, you know, there's this serum, this, this experiment that kind of gives him, 
use of, more use of his faculties and he gets actually quite smart and then it starts to wear off a little bit and and the it's actually quite tragic when you see the guy who remembers how bad it was to not be in command of of his mental processes and now he's operating at full capacity and then you and then he's returning to what mm-hmm. he was and you just see like the very the sadness and the desperation there it's a really it's a powerful performance hmm. um but uh but the film is so 1960s yeah. in in ways that you wouldn't expect for that story but uh yeah. man oh man awful so it's interesting and we want to kind of wrap it up but it's interesting just to kind of look at this scope of movies to see like there's a lot of stuff that is either like a lot of these are kind of dark and depressing yeah. things. Rosemary's Baby, Charlie, like you just said, Heart is a Lonely Hunter. I, I have to assume the Boston Strangler is not too uh, uplifting. Boston Strangler is is a pretty good movie that actually reminded me a lot of Zodiac when really? I saw it. It's hmm. I, I feel like Zodiac owes a lot to yeah. the Boston Strangler. But Night of the Living Dead's the same way. So a lot of these, it's like you get that and then you get sort of these wacky comedy things yeah. like Yellow Submarine, Head, uh, The Producers, yeah. The Love Bug. Um, so and maybe Oliver kind of hits somewhere in the middle there. Maybe. I feel like it's more on that spectrum. It's more towards the silly stuff, but, uh, I don't know if maybe, maybe that movie winning is some kind of compromise between the, uh, I mean, you, you can see it being, this is the late sixties. Like you can see a culture being kind of just throwing everything at the wall. Cause we're confused and we don't, we don't know what's going on in the world. I, that seems to be right. And when you look at the movie that the the best picture that preceded it and the best picture that followed it, mm-hmm. it does seem like the last. Uh, and I recognize the Patton was it was a big movie, but you know this is sort of like the last uh, vestige of the crowd pleasing, mm-hmm. mu- you know, musical uh, that that makes a fair amount of money and that everyone can really get behind, yeah. getting like major Academy support. Yeah. You know, um, to the we don't make movies like this anymore. Like a movie that looked and felt like this would be laughed out of theaters today. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even when you look at, uh, I mean, Fiddler on the Roof was nominated and lost to the French connection <laughs> cabaret, which is not a light and airy music. No, I feel like that's uh, a different, but even that lost to the Godfather, yeah. despite winning way more Oscars than the Godfather. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, this is and and Chicago won. uh, best picture in i think a pretty weak year mm. um you know what was going to win you know gangs of new york uh minor scorsese or you know pianist the, the pianist good. is pretty good the hours is ugh. uh <laughs> and then the second lord of the rings which obviously if they were going to give best picture to any of them it was <laughs> either going to be the first or third of them uh but yeah so so yeah uh since we're working backwards we're going to be talking about a lot of musicals coming up. <laughs> we sure are. You know, uh, so, you know, so we're not, so when you work backwards, Oliver is a, a harbinger of things to come more than uh, the, yeah. the last remnant. It sure is. And I think, I can't pull it off the top of my head, but one of the last ones in this era, at least, that we get to is one of my, might be one of my least favorite best pictures. Oh, boy. So exciting. We'll see. And, uh, and I have not seen it. I haven't seen most of these musicals. Mm. Um, although I guess at this point I've seen, I've seen like half of them, mm. but, uh, but yeah, so, okay. We should end there because this is not a minisode anymore. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, next week. I don't, 
yet know what we're going to be uh, talking about. It might be a mini-sode. It might be a full episode. Uh, but I will announce on Facebook and on Twitter what we will be discussing so that you can go and watch it or not, depending <laughs> if it's uh, what we're thinking it's going to be. Uh, yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.